RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. And welcome to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. Today we have Dr. Asad Beg. He is a radiology resident in the New York City area. He is specializing after he's done with residency with interventional radiology. I know almost nothing about radiology, and I just asked him every single question that I could possibly have answered, and he was so nice and cool. He's so cool and down to earth, and we're definitely going to have to do a two-part episode eventually um, so that we could get more in-depth on this topic, but especially for nursing, and I know even other residents, radiology can be sort of like unknown and nobody exactly knows what's going on or what their schedule is like or the nurses, even the nursing. I don't know what an IR nurse does. I know that I've met maybe two of them. They seem to love their jobs, but beyond that, I don't know anything. So I just asked him a lot of really um, maybe straightforward questions for this episode. And I'm going to ask him to come back. He's he's so nice and gracious. So we could do maybe a deeper dive on this topic um, because there's so much and it's so interesting. Um, so anyway, thank you so much to Dr. Beg for coming on. And here we go. All right. Hi, how are you? <laughs> hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me yeah, on. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. Okay. So I did zero research. Usually I do like a ton of research. Uh, This topic, I specifically didn't do that because I don't know anything about anything that what you do and like the people you work with or where you are in the hospital, even like I know nothing. So I just thought we could just like talk about it and I'm just going to ask you all my questions. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's totally fine. That's by the way, that's that's by design. Radiology, if you know any radiologists, they they're, they're kind of quiet in general. <laughs> On purpose. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. so if you don't mind, just maybe introducing yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Asad Beg. You can just call me Asad. That's fine. And you know, I guess it's it's always uh, interesting. You know, how, how do you introduce yourself? But yeah, I guess you could say you know I was. Born and raised a New Yorker, you know, kind of grew up here most of my life, went to college here, went to med school down in D.C., and then came back up doing residency here now. And I'm in my final year of residency doing radiology and I'm going into interventional radiology. Awesome. So that's yeah, great. That's where I'm oh at. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So first of all, why did you pick radiology? That's, yeah, I mean, that's, it's funny that you say this because like, you know, med school interviews and and residency interviews are starting. That's the number one question for Mm -hmm. everyone. Like, why did you choose X? You know, it's funny, actually, I, I never did a radiology rotation during med school. It was actually one of the fields where I was like, I'm definitely not going into radiology. Mm -hmm. Initially, I had applied for orthopedics and general surgery. So, you know, coming out of medical school is kind of like, it's basically a computer algorithm that basically matches applicants to, you know, hospitals, which is the dreaded match. Mm -hmm. But, you know, through the match, you know, I ended up getting general surgery, which I thought, you know, all right, that's cool. Like, you know, I, I like surgery, you know, maybe I could learn to love it, but, you know, probably about four or five months in, I was like, man, this is not for me. And, you know, in hindsight, I think it's, I'm really glad that I came to that conclusion in my first year of residency rather than, you know, two, three, four, five years down the line. I was very lucky. I had a very supportive program director and he was, he said, listen, I'm just glad that you told me now rather than, you know, 
three, four years down the line. And, you know, he, he helped me out, wrote letters, made some phone calls on my behalf. So I applied to orthopedics again and radiology because in my mind I said, all right, if I'm basically going to be living in the hospital, I should do something that I either absolutely love or do something where, you know, maybe I could have a little bit more of a balance Mm -hmm. in my life. So if there was something that I was going to do where I was like basically living in the hospital, it would have been orthopedics. And then radiology, I thought, you know, listen, this is, it's a really good field. It's involved with every single part of medicine. It sounds really cool. And I actually learned about interventional radiology and I was like, you know what? I could see myself doing either ortho or interventional radiology. I couldn't really see myself doing diagnostics. So I said, you know what? Let me apply to both. Let me apply to ortho and radiology. And that's, that's kind of a long story of how I ended up in radiology. Okay. Yeah. Is it normal for people to not have a rotation with radiology? Because I don't think our residents have that either, that option. So, yeah. So radiology is one of those weird fields. You know, it's like nobody really rotates through it and nobody really re- learns about it unless like, you know, you want to go into mm-hmm. it. You know, so, you know, I think now medical schools are starting to integrate a little bit more because, I mean, you know, like everything is radiology in the sense of like, like every patient that comes into the hospital is getting either a chest x-ray or like, you know, x-rays of something else if they're a trauma patient or like CAT scans or MRIs, like every single thing is like, you know, related to radiology. And so much of our diagnosis is kind of based on that Mm -hmm. too. So, you know, like things like, for example, like, I'm, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. I'm sure lots of people are going to be overloading on turkey mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuffing and all that. So when you come in because your belly's hurting, like what's the first thing, you know, after getting a history and physical? CT scan. Get a CAT yeah. scan. I exactly. mean, the ER docs are notorious <laughs> for that. <laughs> exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the ER docs because they did a wonderful thing during COVID, but you know. But they love a good CAT just, scan. Yeah, yeah, they do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, and, and, you know, I think, it's, I think it's pretty important for, you know, everybody within healthcare to kind of at least understand like a little bit of basics of radiology, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think it's really important, like, you know, all right, the expert in the field, like, okay, that's great, you know, and, and we'll always, you know, take your opinion and what you're saying and everything and super duper important. But at the same time, we all should have maybe like a basic level of competence. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, one of the things that I feel like I'm lacking, especially as a nurse, is I'm never taught anything, even about a basic x-ray, like a chest x-ray that I see every single day, every single day we get (laughs) these patients are coming in, pneumonia, et cetera. And I don't know how to read them. And honestly, the only reason why I know a tiny sliver of information about it is because of like some of the doctors who are on Instagram, like your account showing different things or like the intern that's sitting next to me. And I'm like, Hey, what's this? (laughs) You know, whatever. But I mean, there are little basics that like we could, we could all know and learn to recognize. And we just, we're not taught that. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, I think, I think one of the challenges is that there's just like, there's like an infinite like amount of knowledge that we all have Mm -hmm. to learn, like in medicine. And I don't care if you're, you know, a doctor, a nurse, a PA, even a med student, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Even, even nursing students, PA students, like there's just so much we have to learn. So like, so to give you context, right. So being a radiologist, I never learned anything about radiology except for the very, very basics in medical Mm -hmm. school. So coming into radiology, I, I really didn't like, none of us really know anything, Mm -hmm. you know, but the thing is, you're like, all right, wait, but you just spent four years in medical school. Yeah. What the heck did you learn? You Mm -hmm. know? And that's the trippy part. Cause there's, there's just like so much medicine to learn that it's like, all right, like, should I focus on the medicine? Should I focus on the imaging? And, And I think what happens with education is, you know, the people that are kind of putting these curriculums together, they probably decide, all right, it's way more important for our students to learn, you know, acid base Mm -hmm. balances and, you know, what is, what is acidosis? What is alkalosis? Mm -hmm. And, you know, basics of maybe like reading EKGs because maybe they feel that, all right, you know, these are things that, you know, as someone who's on the front lines, 
it's probably going to be more useful for us to know these things. So they teach us all these things kind of like, you know, throughout our schooling, but I think it would be good to integrate a little bit of radiology. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the front lines and you're in New York, you were here during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not that, I mean, it's still going on. I talk about it like it's past tense, but (laughs) I mean, during the height of COVID here, March and April, right? You were where Mm -hmm. you were on Long Island. Yeah, yeah. So we weren't as hard as the city. You're you're in the city somewhere, right? I yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I work in Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. So we weren't as hard as, you know, the city and, and Queens and Brooklyn, but yeah, we I mean, just to give you some context, you know, generally the radiology folks and the radiology residents, like we're not really on the floors. Mm-hmm. Like you won't see us very much. Except for like the interventional radiology guys, but because that's a little bit more like clinical. But diagnostic radiology, we pretty much, I mean, I know it's a stereotype. You just sit in the room and, and read the studies. Mm-hmm. It's not totally wrong. <laughs> it's not totally right, but it's not totally wrong either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, we were basically, you know, whatever you want to call it, drafted or, or you know, called on to, to work the front lines or whatever. But all of us were basically going and taking care of patients on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people who... Are, pro- are not going into interventional radiology and don't have as much, you know, clinical experience. Like, just think about, think about that, like how bad it was, like mm-hmm. kind of throughout New York that they were taking, you know, Any, radiology residents, yeah. OBGYN residents, yeah. ortho mm-hmm. residents, ophthalmology residents, and even like, even fellows who like hadn't done internal medicine in like so long, it was just so dire. And like our hospital was at one point just completely COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was just all hands on deck. And, and I, you know, I did things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with, but I learned and, mm-hmm. you know, I helped out where I could. Anything that would have been a detriment to patient care, you know, I, I obviously ran up the chain, but yeah, it was crazy. You, you know, you were on the front lines too. I'm sure you were getting wrecked. Yeah. I mean, you're saying like, oh, it wasn't that bad, but you're like, oh, my hospital is a hundred percent COVID. Yeah. So it was mine. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. It was pretty bad. I mean, I was lucky to some degree. I mean, I heard horror stories. I had a lot of people writing me during COVID and after COVID on Instagram and like telling me, you know, right here in Manhattan and Brooklyn especially seem seem a little bit worse too that they didn't have PPE and all this stuff. I was lucky. I never ran out of PPE. And even my hospital was creating units and like doing all of this preparation in March. And I remember being like, isn't this a little much? Like I remember being like, this is a lot, you guys. Like you need to relax like a little bit. And then it hit and we were, I mean, no one can be prepared, right? I mean, we weren't prepared. No one was prepared. But I think I was in a much better situation than a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, we we just like every hospital, we were over capacity with COVID. I mean, it was absolutely crazy and we didn't know anything about it either. So now there's a little yeah. bit more research and it seems like the patient outcomes are a little bit better. So that gives me hope if it comes back, you know, maybe we could do a little bit better job because in the beginning, I mean, we were all treating them like ARDS patients. And now we, you know, I mean, we quickly realized, thank God, it wasn't even me. It was the the docs, you know, the, the ICU attendings that I was working with that were like, hey, this early intubation is not working. <laughs> like, we need to yep. stop this now. Yeah. And they were doing all sorts of out of the box kind of stuff that we're still doing. And I'm seeing it all over the country now, like, you know, a high flow nasal cannula with a non rebreather over it. Who saw that ever, you know, Yeah. but whatever you can do to not intubate, you know, if that's going to help that person, you know, I, I don't know. Do you think it's, I mean, are you seeing an increase? What are you seeing? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned the beginning of COVID because I, I think we all just got destroyed because, because you know, and, and it's funny, you know, you look at statistics and people always say, oh yeah, like, you know, look at New York, New York got wrecked. But, you know, if people fail to realize we were the first mm-hmm. state, we were the first part of America that got really hit hard. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's like, you, when you know, when we talk about New York, we're talking about basically the five boroughs Long Island and probably Westchester, mm-hmm. the the concentration of the population that we have here, like like there's more there's more people in Nassau County than I think like some certain states. States, you yeah. know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And Nassau County isn't even like the most populated area of like the greater New York area. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, so like 
all, all that being said, you know, I, I got to say, I think, you know, I think we, we dealt with it as best as possible because, you know, the PPE thing, like you said, I, we were very lucky as well. Mm-hmm. We were lucky in that our attendings in radiology, they actually found ways to get us PPE. Wow. Like I, I had, I had the whole like hazmat suit and everything. <laughs> and it, it's funny when I went to the floors, like some of the medicine residents were like, Oh, where'd you get that? And I was like, I was like, Oh man, my attendings like got this for me. And you know, we, we were at one point at a point where it was like, all right, you have an N95. This is your N95 for the week. Right. You know? Yeah. And that was just the reality. We were just getting rocked in terms of, you know, what, you know, what's going to happen now. I mean, the numbers are going up. Like you said, I, I think we're, we're way like, we're way more informed about it now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back at it, it's, it's funny you mentioned now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> I feel like we all have that kind of like that rosy recollection or whatever you want to call it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like when you look back, you're like, oh, you know, it yeah. wasn't that bad. Yeah. Like, it was bad. It, yeah. <laughs> it was like really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, I, I don't have a super rosy recollection of it, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> and like I had more than one N95 a week. So, mm. but I did, I had doctors who are writing me in Brooklyn asking me saying like, we literally can't round on our patients. We literally don't have a mask. Like I had one doctor in particular who was like, I don't have a mask. I can't see my patients today. And I was just like, I mean, and now it becomes almost like you're, you feel like you're sort of responsible. Like now I'm like, how can I get you stuff, you know? And it's just like, why did this happen though? And, And why is it allowed to continue to happen? I mean, I still have people, not in New York City, luckily, but telling me they don't have PPE or, or that it's being extremely rationed is, is more likely, you know? So yeah. And I know you, you actually, I know on your Instagram, you, I think you were raising some money for some. Yeah. Me and Siri. Yeah. Was, yeah. That was really awesome, by the way. I, I really yeah. applaud you guys. Yeah. Uh, because you know, what is the other thing I think people don't, people think, you know, oh, well the situation's better and it is, it is. And I'm, I'm glad for that, but there are certain types of hospitals and there are certain like long-term care, for example, and those type of facilities that the PPE is not a priority in the eyes mm-hmm. of like a distributor or a government or, you know, so yeah. they're not going to be first in line. So now those like it, it's get us PPE is the organization that we raise money for. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like taking those funds and they have their own distributors and they can like get those facilities PPE and then they can like stockpile it in case something happens again, yeah. you know? And you know, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about because it's not like we don't have money. Right. You know what I mean? Like think about how much yeah. we pay in taxes. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna get too political, but it, I get mean, really political. Cause today is the day <laughs> if we're going to do it. I mean, we have that a four, so we have a for profit healthcare system <laughs> and like we're paying more than most uh, other countries, you know, and, and look at what we got. I mean, we have people in garbage bags or, you know, whatever. I know that's nuts that, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, I just imagine, and I, and I think about it like this and not to, you know, not to be too dramatic, but I mean, if you think about it, it was almost like we were, we were in a battle mm-hmm. or like, or like, you know, not to, not to diminish right. anything about the of military course. or anything like that, but we were basically fighting against this enemy that we couldn't see and Mm -hmm. and we were fighting for humanity. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like the question goes in my mind, like would you ever, ever send a soldier out to battle without proper equipment? Right. But that's, that's in essence what we were doing with all of our staff, right? With doctors, nurses, PAs, anybody that was on the front lines that didn't have PPE. We're basically saying like, you're right, on your own, you know? <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, you know? I mean, why did your attending have to buy you PPE? You know, that that shouldn't, that's mm-hmm. amazing that the attending did that and I'm glad. But yeah. you look at some of these other countries that have, you know, quote, socialized medicine, quote, and they have full body gear, you know, and they have the pappers and all this stuff. So I, I don't know. Yeah, you know. Even, even if, you know, I say this, right. Even if you're not going to talk about kind of, you know, changing the healthcare system, right. Mm -hmm. Because that's, you know, whatever. Some people agree, some people don't agree. Right. 
the fact that we have so much money that we're spending on, you know, so many things that it's just, it's just crazy, but we can't afford PPE. Like, come mm-hmm. on, like where, where are the resources going? Because we pay a hell of a lot of taxes. Yeah, we, we can afford it. <laughs> I think our, you know, we, we decide where the money goes, right? We decide what are the priorities and yeah, so I don't want to vote. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get too far down that path because then I'll start pointing out all the ways where I see where the money is and then I get mad about it. But yeah, I mean, anyway. Okay, wait, we're way off track. Hold on. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's me. It's me. No, no. I'll take any opportunity to talk about all the grievances I have. Okay. So, okay. So wait, tell me about like your day. Like, tell me mm-hmm. about the room you sit in. Like, tell me. I don't understand. I literally don't understand any of it. Okay. All <laughs> right. So I'm going to tell you about two different days. One is going to be an interventional radiology day, and one is going to be a diagnostic radiology day because they're very different. Okay. And I guess before I start, maybe, I mean, I think everybody knows what diagnostic radiology is. That's kind of, you know, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, just, you know, interpreting all those and diagnosing. Interventional radiology, I think a lot of people don't even know what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when you're an interventional radiologist, you have the ability to do all the diagnostic radiology stuff. So you can read CAT scans, MRIs, X-rays, nuclear medicine scans, all that stuff. But we also do procedures, you know, a lot of like bread and butter IR procedures would be like, you know, venous accesses, you know, picks, midlines, metaports for chemo patients, abscess drains, and then kind of the higher level IR cases would be more like women that have, you know, uh, very bad fibroids. You know, we do something called uterine fibroid embolization where, you know, it's basically minimally invasive procedures under image guidance. Mm-hmm. Any place that we can get to in the body using the vascular system, like we can pretty much do. So for example, today, one of the cases I did was there was a patient who had a renal artery aneurysm. And what we did was, you know, obviously with any aneurysm, you're concerned at some point it might rupture, you know, the patient might bleed. So what we did was, you know, we, we went, you know, accessing the groin, we went up to the renal artery and, you know, dropped some coils, which are basically kind of just like metal springs. And, and the point of that is to basically prevent blood from going into the aneurysm and making it bigger. And, you know, hopefully stopping potential rupture. Mm -hmm. So that's just like one example of like one thing we did. You know, another thing that we've got lined up is, you know, someone who's got liver cancer, you know, something called a a chemoembolization where we basically kind of minimally invasive, we either go, you know, usually through the groin, sometimes we can go through the wrist as well, but get to the liver, you know, inject kind of chemo uh, right into the tumor. And this kind of helps shrink the tumor and everything. It helps a lot of people who are waiting for transplants, you know, because if the tumor gets too big, then they're not eligible for transplants. So like, that's like, that's another patient that we're doing. So like IR is basically kind of minimally invasive surgery, but not like surgery in the sense of we're not really cutting people. Everything we do is needle and wire access. So it's very minimally invasive. Mm -hmm. So I say all this and then, <laughs> okay, you know, tell me the next one. <laughs> okay. So, so that was interventional radiology and I just told you diagnostic radiology. So now I'm just going to walk you through like what a day would be like. Mm-hmm. So on IR or interventional radiology, you know, you'd come in probably for us and this varies institution by institution, probably between seven to seven thirty. The first thing we do is look at any consults that came in, you know, overnight because IR is a consult service where, you know, medicine, surgery, other services will basically say, hey, IR, you know, can you evaluate the patient for this? So, you know, I'll go through the consults, you know, kind of prioritize what is the most urgent, what patients need to be seen right away, what patients can be seen later, and then kind of decide what procedures need to be done first, second, third. So this is probably, you know, about 7.30 or 8-ish. You know, you're probably spending half an hour just getting your bearings and going through everything. We also go through the imaging, right? Look at everything, kind of analyze what's going on with the patient. Is this a procedure that will benefit the patient or not? And then probably around, you know, between 8 to 8.30 is when we have our first case. Before that, usually I'll run the list with my attending. Basically what that means is we'll go through the list of patients that we have for the day, the list of procedures that we're going to do for the day and kind of settle on, all right, this is the order. We'll do this, 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 and this. And then speaking to the nurses and kind of conveying like, and and communication is super key in IR Mm -hmm. because if you have like, if you have a solid nurse, he or she can really, really help out like throughout the day because they're usually the ones who are kind of like 
behind the scenes making things happen, you know, mm-hmm. like things like getting report, you know, putting patients in the tracking system, you know, to, you know, to let the transporters know to bring this patient down or, you know, to take this patient back. Like it's all little things like that. It's never like a huge chunk of time, but it's like the 10 minutes here, you know, the 15 minutes here. If you can save those, like all that throughout the day adds up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you have like a good nurse, like that, so that's why it's super important between 8 to 8.30, I always call the nurses or just walk over and talk to them and be like, all right, this is what we're going to do for the day. This is the plan. All right, you know, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And then usually from like, you know, 8.30 to like, I don't know, maybe like 2, 2.30, we'll just be doing cases different procedures. And in between then, you know, I'll maybe see some consults, like go check on some patients and uh, write notes, dictate and everything. And then usually by like three or so, that's when we'll probably be getting set up for like maybe the last or the second to last case of the day. And usually around that time, we like to go and round, which is kind of weird because radiology, you think, all right, they're just sitting in the dark room. Nobody knows them. Right. But for you know, for IR, there's been this big push in the last five to 10 years where we want to show that we're like, we're actually very clinical. Mm-hmm. So a lot of institutions are now, you know, IR has their own admitting privileges or like they'll take care of patients, you know, as a consult service, they'll still make their recommendations. We'll go and round on patients. You know, it's not typical rounding like, you know, ICU or medicine, Mm -hmm. but it's a little bit more like almost like the surgical rounds where it's very focused, where we'll go to see a patient, we'll spend a little time with them, kind of if we've done a procedure, just do, you know, a post-procedure check, you know. Mm That's kind of how like vascular is like they, they come and they see like, you know, I see them in the morning, it's like 6am and they like boop, 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 you know, and they come up and they follow (laughs) up on these like really specific things and then they're out. But I, I at least see them. Like I know them. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really what we're trying to do in IR is, you know, for like the last probably 30 years, it's, it's been like IRs are like technicians, Mm -hmm. you know, where they'll just do the procedure and then that's it. There's no pre-procedural care. There's no post-procedural care. There's no clinic. So we're really trying to like change that perception and really change like how IR is even practiced. Mm -hmm. Like we have clinic now, like a lot of institutions now have an IR clinic where we'll see patients. We round, you know, we see patients before the procedure, we'll see them after the procedure. So it's become very, very clinical. And then, you know, just to finish off the day, usually we finish up about, you know, depending on, you know, how long the cases are and stuff, but usually around 5, 5.30 or so, mm-hmm. give or take. That's usually when we're done with, you know, our cases, done with our notes and everything. And then that's it. You know, you go home and then hopefully you don't get called in. There are certain emergencies that you can get called in for IR, but they're not that frequent depending on where you are. Things like if there's a really bad trauma and if they have like a pelvic bleeder, you know what I mean, where Mm -hmm. surgery can't get to it. Oftentimes they'll consult IR and because of what we do, everything is minimally invasive. We can get to certain parts of the body that it may be really difficult to with surgery. Like if you're down in like the lower abdomen or pelvis, like think about all the things that you would have to cut through to try to find a bleeder. Like Mm -hmm. you've got... You know, if you're, everybody's got the bladder, the male's got, you know, the prostate, Mm -hmm. women have their, you know, uterus, like imagine like trying to navigate that, trying to find a tiny bleeder. Okay. Let me ask you, how do you do that? Tell me, tell me, okay. You have a patient, they're bleeding. You don't know where the bleed is. It's in the abdomen. What do you do? Yeah. So the first thing that we would do is, you know, make sure that the patient is like relatively stable because I mean, even if the patient's not stable and they're bleeding, I guess we would still bring them over to IR. But once we bring them over, we put them on our table. It's kind of similar to an OR, but it's it's actually probably more like a cardiac cath lab. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever had mm-hmm. ever worked with the cardio people, but it's kind of like that where we have a fluoroscopy machine, basically kind of real-time x-ray. We put the patient on the table and depending on – most times if it's emergent, we'll just go through the groin. So mm-hmm. we'll access, if it's an arterial bleed, we'll go through the femoral artery, you know, we'll look at it under ultrasound and then we'll take like a, we call it a micropuncture needle, just a very like, you know, thin needle. It's basically kind of like a, it's like a 21 gauge mm-hmm. needle pretty much. So we'll get into the femoral artery and then everything in IR is all about like wires and stuff. Mm-hmm. So once we get in with the needle, we can put a wire in and once you're into, you know, kind of the common femoral and you, once you get kind of into the aorta, now you have access to pretty much the whole body if you think about it. Okay. So once you're in with the wire, you can basically take out the needle or you can put, you can put a sheath in. And once you've got the sheath in, you've got kind of secure access. Now you can take, you know, there's like countless wires <laughs> with like so many different lengths, like 150 centimeters, 260 centimeters. So 
once you get your wires in through your sheath, basically what you're going to be doing is under x-ray, you know, fluoroscopy guidance, what you're going to do is it's, you know, you're going to kind of, I don't want to say play with it, but almost play with the wire and try mm-hmm. to kind of navigate it and try to find out where the bleed is, right? So if it's in the pelvis, like we would probably kind of, you know, get in through the femoral and try to navigate into the pelvic arteries using a wire. And there's different wires. Some are stiff, some are, you know, kind of softer. And depending on, you know, what the person looks like in terms of if it's if it's an older person, you may have to use a certain wire because, you know, their arteries are more calcified. If it's a younger person, you know, they're, you know, they may be more they may have more pliable vasculature. So you may be able to get away with, you know, a different kind of wire. Mm-hmm. So based on, you know, who we're dealing with, we kind of make that decision, okay, like which which wire are we going to use? And then once we get to the area where we're at, what we do is we put a catheter over the wire and now now here's where we really figure out how it works. We use contrast to basically inject the artery and then we're able to see, all right, is there anything actively extravasating from mm-hmm. this artery? Is there like a ball that would be like an aneurysm? You know, sometimes you can have a traumatic like pseudoaneurysm or an aneurysm. So using contrast and using the fluoroscopy, which is basically kind of like, you know, real-time x-ray, we're able to kind of see where, you know, where this bleeding happens or, you know, where anything is. You know, this, I'm just talking specifically about kind of like bleeders. Right. But you could apply the same concept to anything really. Okay. So again, I did zero research on purpose because (laughs) I want to ask you all my questions. Okay. I don't, I don't even understand when you're saying, okay, you're using the wire, which I get because I see, you know, they're putting in lines, you know, in the ICU like that, that I get. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if you're using different wires, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you get in there and you decide, oh, this isn't the right one. Then what do you do? Mm -hmm. You take it out, you put a different one in, Exactly. Yeah. So if you, if you can't get to a certain place, let's say, you know, like you're not able to get into like an artery that has like a really like crazy angle, you know, where it's like, you know, it's a really tough angle to navigate with like a straight wire. You might say, all right, let me get an angled wire because it already has an angle at the tip. So when I'm, you know, kind of trying to navigate it, you know, because we're not actually going into the body. Like we're not cutting anybody open. Mm -hmm. All of what we're doing is right by the groin. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine, it's almost like, I mean, it's not exactly like laparoscopic surgery, but it's kind of similar in that aspect where you're looking at a video screen and you're seeing what you're doing, but you're doing it from like kind of a remote area, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said, if if one wire isn't working, you know, you can you can pull it out, try another wire and, you know, you just keep going until you until you get it and you kind of yeah. And th- so that's why you need the sheath, is that right? So it protects the vessel? Is that the idea? So yeah, so let me tell you about the sheath. The sheath gives you um very secure access. Um uh, cuz remember, when I'm talking about access, um I'm talking about the ability to be in the vessel without coming out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to, as long as you're in the vessel, whether you're working in the venous system or the arterial system, as long as you are able to navigate the vasculature, like you're good. You can go anywhere in the body. Mm-hmm. But the moment that you lose access, the moment that your either your needle or your wire leaves the vessel, now you now you're not able to get anywhere in the body. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like. Because everything, if you think about it, all of our vessels are basically like the highway system of the body, mm-hmm. right? You can get, you can literally get from head to toe basically through your vasculature. Like you can go through the heart by going through the SVC and then going down into the IVC, which we do for IVC filters, mm-hmm. you know? So for us, the big thing is maintaining access and the sheath, what it does is it gives you like a nice secure way to access the arteries. Because once that sheath is in, now you can easily put wires in and, and you don't have to worry as much about, all right, am I going to, am I just going to flop out of the vessel or like what, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's, that's like one less thing to like worry about, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Talk about like the nursing aspect of that. Like I, I've never mm. met a nurse that works in this field before. I don't know. It's like the oh, same, man. it's the same idea. Like I, they're like ghosts. Like I don't even know where they work. <laughs> I don't know who they are. Like nothing. Like tell me you about sh- that. 
you know what? You sh- you should hang out with the IR nurses because <laughs> IR nurses are super cool. Because because the thing is, we have two nurses who were in the ER and they they came to IR I think within the last year and they love it. Mm-hmm. So IR nurses, what I guess the question is like, what do they do? How do they interact? Like that yeah, kind of like stuff. Yeah, like what what's your? I mean, you're you said you're reviewing the the cases and then you go speak to them. I mean, what kind of information are you relaying to them? And then yeah. what do you see them do? What are they helping you with? Yeah, so the IR nurses are super crucial. What they do is they do so much stuff behind the scenes that like you know it can really make or break the day. Iron nurses, what do they do? They're going to be the ones that are responsible for helping, you know, facilitate the patients coming down, making sure that, you know, things are all set with the patient, you know, that they're able to get report. The patient is relatively stable from the floor. That's the first thing that they do. Another thing that they do is they, they help set up the table. You know, and when I say the table, I mean in the IR suite, right? Like it's very similar to, you know, like I was saying, cardiac cath or like the OR where like you have a sterile area, you know, you need to have things set up. Mm-hmm. You know, we we tell the nurses like what wires like we're thinking about using, what equipment we're going to need. And that's part of the communication, you know, where depending on the case, like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm always talking with the nurses like, okay, like this is the case, like we're probably going to need this wire or like, or even something as simple as like a pick line, you know, all right, are, are we going to go single lumen, double lumen, triple lumen? And I'll tell them like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is for an ICU patient. So we're probably going to need more lumens. Let's go for a double or a triple lumen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like something like that. And then, you know, what they do is they help out with, you know, in terms of if we're using the pick line example, getting the pick line, you know, handing it to us, you know, in a sterile way, mm-hmm. you know, monitoring the patient as we're, you know, doing the procedure. Like that's, that's super crucial because obviously we're, we're caring for the patient. We're monitoring that as well. But at the same time, like, you know, if there's any change in the vitals, usually it's the nurse that's like, Hey, like, you know, this guy's tachycardic or something mm-hmm. like that, or mm-hmm. like the O2 sats dropping a little bit, you know? So it's, it's nice when you have a good nurse because they'll give you like a heads up and they'll be kind of a little bit more proactive. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and you're focusing on the procedure, right? So it's mm-hmm. nice that you can just kind of dive into what you're doing and you know, if you can trust the person that you're working with, that that person is like monitoring the patient for you. And like, you'll know immediately that you know, something's gone wrong or something's not working based on, you know, their feedback. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, and the way that I think about it is like this, right? It's like, and, and forgive me cause I love sports, but <laughs> it's, it's like a football team, you know, it's like, like, yeah, like everybody looks at the quarterback, but you know, people don't realize that if the quarterback doesn't have time to throw the pass, that quarterback's going to get sacked every single time. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That quarterback needs the running back to sometimes run the ball. That quarterback needs the wide receivers to catch the ball. If the quarterback throws a perfect pass, but the wide receivers are just, you know, have hands of stone, mm-hmm. they're not going to go anywhere. You know, if the quarterback doesn't have an offensive line, not to say that doctors are the quarterbacks or anything, but I'm just saying everybody has like a role and yeah. and it's all important. Definitely. Know? I totally agree. And some people like myself, I can only speak for myself, but I actually feel more comfortable in these other roles and I can own those roles. And I can make that, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked with doctors, like I worked in an OBGYN clinic, for example, and where we were doing procedures and I would like pass instruments and, you know, and it was like, and I would set up, you know, set everything up and whatever. And it was almost like, in a way, like that was kind of my room in a way, like that's sort of how yeah. I looked at it. Like I set this room up, I'm handing you everything you need to do the thing, you know, and then the doctor's got to go because they have so many cases. And then I'm still with that patient and I'm finishing up and I'm breaking it down and I'm setting it back up. So like some, some people, you know, are actually more comfortable in, in some of those roles too, you know? So it's like, you could Mm -hmm. actually take a lot of pride and ownership in helping and like assisting. And, you know, I, I think that's really cool, you know, and I know those nurses you know, IR nurses specifically, I don't know, but like cath lab nurses, I know they're like that. They're like territorial, you know, they're like, this is my space, you know? And I think that's really cool. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the biggest thing, you know, and, and I tell my younger sister this all the time, you know, she's in college and I say, look, no matter what you do, like, just try to be, good or I mean I always say try to be the best but Mm -hmm. you know even if you're if you're just be good at what you do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and I tell her listen if you want to be 
if you want to be a lawyer, be the best lawyer. If you want to be a doctor, be the best doctor. You want to be a PA, be the best PA. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You want to, I even told her, listen, anything that you want to do, you want to be the, you want to be a teacher, be the best teacher. Because, you know, I, I tell her that everyone has a role. And I think this is way more evident now during COVID times mm-hmm. is that we can't survive as a society. Like if we had all healthcare people like in society, like we, yeah. <laughs> we would not survive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we had all doctors or all nurses mm-hmm. or all PAs, like a hospital can't function that way. Right. Like you need Everybody. every single part. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and it really is a team, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think it's really important that, you know, everybody's willing to help each other out. Everybody knows their roles and everybody takes pride in their roles. Definitely. You know? Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is the hospitals aren't going to pay for anybody who doesn't need to be there. Right. Like we've established that they're, yeah. they're cheap. Like they're oh. not going to just bring <laughs> you in for the kick. You know, everybody, everybody's really stretched to their limit in their own role already. (laughs) And so if you're Mm -hmm. looking at it, like, that's why I get a little, you know, when you have like doctors who kind of think that they could do the whole thing without nurses or PAs, or you have a old school nurse who thinks like, oh, that, that resident knows nothing. Or, you know, whenever I have either of that to me, I'm just like, okay, there's a reason why we're all here. There's a reason why we were all hired. There's a reason why they're paying our salary. It's because we're all necessary, you know? And, and to your point, I mean, nothing was more evident to me than when I saw housekeeping, doing these terminal cleanings during COVID. And we're talking about people that have worked in the hospital for 30 some years and and possibly have pre-existing conditions. And minutes after intubating or extubating these COVID patients, we have these people walking into the room and cleaning and, you know, and, and to, to me, they were my hero. I was like, I, I couldn't do that. I think I would leave to be honest with you, you know? And, and yeah, they, they owned their role and, and I applaud them. I mean, it's kind of amazing to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely agree a hundred percent. You know, those, those are kind of like the unsung heroes that, yeah. you know, maybe don't get talked about as much, but it's, it's funny, you know, you were talking about like doctors who think that they can do it all. Like, you know, I think anybody that thinks that they can do it all by themselves, you know, I think that's, that's very arrogant, mm-hmm. you know, because there is a lot that each of us can do individually, but when we work together and when we have a good team going, there's just a lot more. It's, it's that principle of like one plus one is 11. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I can definitely speak firsthand. And, and there is, there's definitely a big difference when I have like a solid team around me, you know, and, and I'm not even the attending. I'm, I'm just the resident, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like, you know, like I know when I have certain nurses, like I know, all right, it's going to be a solid day. We're going to be able to get patients down. We're going to be able to bang out these cases and, and, you know, we're, we're going to have a good solid day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I try to give everybody a fair shot, but you know, like you work with people for a while, you get to understand their tendencies and, and you understand when certain people, you know, have certain attitudes, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, you know, you try to, you try to be as professional as you can. You try to, you know, maintain patient care, but you just, you just know that when you have a team that's working together, things go way smoother. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wait, I have a question for you yeah. because I have, I have seen some imaging in my life, some very interesting imaging in okay. my life, foreign objects, you know, <laughs> what's some weird stuff tell me so tell me your weird stuff and oh and follow-up question do you ever share that stuff on social media what is what's your opinion about that too yeah so i mean you know so i talked a lot about the interventional radiology side of it but i didn't talk about the diagnostic radiology Mm -hmm. which you know i'll kind of talk a little bit about now you know, when we're on diagnostic radiology, we're, you know, we're reading all the x-rays, CTs, MRIs, et cetera, pretty much, you know, all the imaging for the hospital. And yeah, I think it'd be an understatement to say that, you know, we've definitely seen our share <laughs> of interesting things yeah. to say the least. <laughs> In terms of, you know, sharing on, you know, social media and, and also, by the way, just to give you context, you know, there. How do I put this? It's not just 
it's not just from the bottom. There are also <laughs> things that are swallowed that we see. No, like what? So, so <laughs> uh, we've seen like bags of like I don't know if it was cocaine or certain uh, yeah. types of drugs, uh-huh. but like things like that. We've seen we've seen batteries swallowed. You know, mm-hmm. like things like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's always kind of tricky. Um, AirPod, yeah. <laughs> so yeah not as nefarious but you know (laughs) wait so okay if somebody swallows something like that Mm -hmm. what's I guess they're coming in because they're saying they swallowed it or they came in because of a complication because they swallowed it and then and then what you know well so so that's the thing about radiology you just never know what's going to come on your screen right mm-hmm. so a lot of it is being dependent on the ER for like you know and and inpatient for history but a lot of times the history is either i swallowed something or for the case with like you know and for whatever reason my hospital gets a decent amount of these sometimes if the cops like you know arrest somebody uh-huh. yeah they take them to the er because you know maybe they think that they saw something that they were holding and then all of a sudden it's gone and they're like well maybe this patient swallowed it oh my or, god what if they know. what if the bag breaks or well that's i that's mean the, that's the big concern too because like if you you know if you've got drugs in a bag in your system like if if those things pop like that's oh that could be god. really really detrimental yeah oh my god <laughs> so yeah i mean so to answer your other question in terms of sharing on social media, I don't necessarily think that there's an issue as long as there's no patient identifiers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If there's nothing that could be traced back to the patient, you know, I, I know that this is kind of like we're, we're kind of like ground zero for this because I think probably five to 10 years ago, this wasn't even a question. Right. Because there you know, Instagram wasn't big five to 10 years ago. Maybe YouTube was. I don't remember when it got really big, but mm-hmm. nobody was really sharing cases on there. Right. But, you know, I think I think that for the purposes of education, I think it's important actually to share these things too. Because like you said, unfortunately for a lot of people, this may be the only exposure that they get to radiology or cardiology or something. And like from an even more important perspective, like for example, like I've seen posts about like, you know, stroke and stuff and like how to recognize stroke. And maybe somebody posts like a CT image of like, you know, what it would look like. So for like the common person, like that's super duper important. Like you could actually save someone's life. Mm -hmm. If you, if you remember like, Oh man, like I saw this Instagram post and like, wait a minute, like my grandpa looks like he may be like showing some of these signs. Let me take him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like you never know like your education, who it's going to reach and and who it might help, you know, treat or save. Yeah. Okay. What's the line then of patient identifiers? You know, the crazy thing is we're in like the one profession where it's like even something that proves to be like untrue, mm-hmm. even an allegation could really hurt you. Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it's not fair. It's really not fair. Yeah. Honestly, for that reason, I basically like if there's any situation like that, like I just I just stay away because it's um it's not worth it's it. It's not worth it. Yeah, no. definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's more than one nurse on Instagram that has been fired from their job, you know? Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, you have to be I shouldn't very... be surprised, but yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a gray area, like you said, like, you know, because, yeah, like, our intentions may be good. Mm-hmm. Our intentions may be to, you know, spread education and show, like, all right, this is an interesting case. This mm-hmm. is a cool case. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, the thing. It's it's a double-edged sword because if the people higher up than us just say, like, all right, this this doesn't reflect well on us, we, we could be done. Yeah, know? definitely. I mean, even I had people recently, I was just saying like, you know, just because of everything that's been going on. I mean, there's so much 2020, right? And I just was sort of saying, you know, I grew up in a very poor community and I grew up around and, you know, family with people, Medicare, Medicaid patients. And I, I understood that system at a very young age and how broken and terrible it is and all of this stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and the more we talked about it online and everything. And I just, I started to realize that like, actually, I think my goal with some of this is to like, like 
bring a lot of these issues that we have with healthcare to the forefront and say like, hey, we can we change some of this? Because we're paying a lot for really bad care in, in a lot mm. of cases. And I said, hey, like maybe I, and it was actually kind of tongue in cheek, like maybe I should add to the podcast bio, like kind of like tearing the system down or something like that. I got right. so many messages from nurses that were like, don't do that. Like if your job sees that, like you'll be fired. Like mm. you have to be so careful because even something like that, that could, it could be taken as harm to my institution and they could right. come at me. I don't even have to really do anything. It's just the perception that I'm a threat that I could blast them, you know, or something. Of course. And that's, you know, that's kind of a microcosm of 2020 and just like the world that we live in today, where like perception is sometimes, you know, greater than reality, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, if you say something enough times, even if it's wrong, like some people will believe you, you know, which is crazy to think, but that's kind of the world that we're living in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the misinformation is absolutely ridiculous. Oh my God. It's <laughs> nuts. It's it's crazy because it's like, you know, you, you've gone to school. I've gone to school. Like mm-hmm. we have all gone to school to do what we do, you know, and not to say by any means that we're, you know, infallible or anything like that. But like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of disheartening when you're like, all right, well, I understand this disease process. Mm-hmm. Like I've actually taken care of these patients, Yeah. but someone with <laughs> no, no medical. experience, yeah. no medical, <laughs> yeah. no, no schooling in this area is now making claims that are completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating. living on yeah. Long Island, did you, did you have that experience this year? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's so crazy because it's like, there are certain patients that will come down to IR and like, they'll insist on like not wearing a mask (laughs) and, 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 oh my God, there, there were like a few patients that are just like, like they really think that it's made up and I'm like, I, I don't know how to convince you like how how do I convey to you in you know in a succinct way that will not offend you like (laughs) how can I convey to you that this is real that I did CPR on a patient who died of COVID you know who had a helmet I I didn't even know by the way I didn't even know that these things existed there are apparently air helmets that we have at our hospital that will like they're they're literally like uh space helmets and they're just like blowing oxygen in that's like i've seen a couple i i've seen a couple i don't know how you get your hands on one i have seen a couple of them from what i heard though honestly i heard it's like the worst thing because it's just this whooshing you can't Mm. hear anything that's going on and it's just like popping your ears constantly that's what i heard Oh man. Yeah. That, that sounds absolutely terrible, but yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Cause, cause we would do like nasal cannula, then rebreather, then maybe both if necessary. Mm-hmm. Then we would go to the helmet and then sometimes we go oh. helmet and nasal cannula. Oh, like, you mean for the patient? For the patient. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't know about that. No. Oh, okay. I thought you so, meant like those like suit with the, what is, it's the pap or, oh, or whatever, right? Oh, I know right? you're talking about like the yeah. visor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about actually like for the patients. Yeah. Oh. I didn't even know this was a thing, but they have literally this plastic, it's, it's like a clear like encasing that we put over patients' heads. Wow. I, for, I forget the actual terminology of it. I know we would colloquially call it the helmet, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, and it, it would basically be kind of like really just like air, like oxygen all around. That's great. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if a patient had that, it would not be good for the patient. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's probably taking a yeah. downturn, but like, you know, going back to it, it's like, you know, yeah, there are definitely people like, you know, on Long Island that still don't believe it's real or like don't want to wear their masks. And, you know, our policy is like, you know, every patient has to, of you course. Know, has to wear a mask Yeah, and you know, we try to reason with them and, you know, we, try to be we, we're always professional we're courteous to them but we try to convey hey hey look this is our policy you know if you don't mind we, we appreciate it if you just comply and for the most part eventually they do listen but it's just it's so interesting the mindset you know it's it, it, we've we've become a nation where 
you know, unfortunately, we've begun to doubt, like we've began to doubt the science, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, yeah, which is like, really crazy. I mean, think, (laughs) think about like, think about what, now I'm not saying science is the end all be all because we have gotten it wrong, obviously, you know, and we learn and we change and we do things better as we go on. But like, think about how many things we've done in the last 50 years in terms of like, you know, advances in, in medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if, if people at that time were just like, which I'm sure there were people who were just like, Nope, this, yeah. this is, this is not real. This is, this is not true. I don't, I don't care about your yeah. study that shows, you know, clinical significance, statistical significance and everything. Nope. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't you, believe you know, it. You know, you know, surgeons and doctors used to not wash their hands before yeah. operating. Like, yeah. No, they, How crazy is that? I think that they jailed the person who is it Listerine. I think that's where the, it comes yeah. from. Right. They like put, they tried to like put him in an insane asylum or something. They were like, it was like a, you're taking our badge of honor. Like we're doctors. Mm-hmm. We save people. What are you implying that we're making people sick? You know, it was like that kind of thing. But I mean, honestly, this, if you look at, especially the history of medicine, this pattern repeats itself. We do this. We go through Mm -hmm. these phases where we have a lot of innovation and a lot of research and a lot of people doing different things. And then we have a pushback, right? Like, I mean, the dark ages Mm -hmm. is like a perfect example where we just, we, we knew all of this stuff. I mean, the ancient Egyptians were using cauterization, you know, we have the the Greeks who are using all of this really advanced medical technology. And then you have the dark ages where they're just like, no, it's, it's the five humors and like the bad air and you know, all of this stuff. So (laughs) I think we're in, unfortunately we're in one of those periods. I think we just entered one of those periods and I hope we'll be out of it by the end of our lifetime. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think so. And, And, you know, I think the kind of the positive thing is that, I think there's a lot of people who are actually speaking up and people with platforms, Mm -hmm. you know, like you you have a pretty sizable platform. I know there are some other, you know, doctors, nurses, PAs, NPs that have like sizable platforms on Instagram and other social media, you know, sites that are that are really using their platform to kind of spread some good information. And and I respect that a lot Mm -hmm. because it's way easier to just be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Because yeah. that takes that takes energy, you know. That takes energy to fight this misinformation, which yes. I'm sure you know more, yes. way more than me. No, yeah. no. I mean, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I only engage in that stuff when I really have the energy to, because it is very draining. It's extremely draining. The only time when I really felt like I was fighting it, and first of all, I was losing, and I was just so out on a limb was during the very beginning of COVID, not only on Instagram, on Facebook, which I have since deleted. I had people from my hometown. I had people from, you know, the newspaper in my community that I follow. I had, you know, these kinds of of interactions and people I knew, people I knew in college, et cetera, trying to explain to me how COVID isn't real, trying to explain to me how the numbers were false, trying to explain to me about my own job and about, you know, oh, but we're, we're driving by the hospital and they're saying it's a war zone, but you know, there's nobody outside of the hospital. And and I'm trying to, I mean, really to my detriment, try, I was trying to explain like, here's why you don't see people outside the hospital. You know, it's because we're encouraging actually people to be directly admitted to our hospital. We're not encouraging people to wait in large waiting areas before they've been COVID tested and, you know, like things Mm -hmm. like that. And these, I, I mean, I was called a lot of names. I was called, you know, like a a liar and a murderer and a a fake and a fraud and, and a lot of really nasty things. And, that's the only time that I really, I really felt like, wow, this is not, I can't win. Like this is not a winning argument and I'm just wasting my energy and my, my mental space to be here with these people. In general, I feel like when I engage, I have, you know, there's always going to be a percentage of people who say they don't listen and they, you know, they don't want to listen and they unfollow and that's fine. But in Mm -hmm. general, I actually feel like people are pretty receptive, or at least the people that join me are pretty receptive and I, and I love them for that. That was the only time though. That was crazy. I mean, that was like psycho. Are you from like, are you, without getting too specific, are you from like the Midwest area? I'm from, I'm from Northern Michigan. Okay. 
Got it. Which is different now than it used to be because I actually love the Midwest and and I so once in a while I'm critical of the place that I love, right? Like we all are. So mm-hmm. I say stuff sometimes and people are like, "Don't be mean to the Midwest." I love the Midwest. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it enough to be critical of Very it. Very nice people. Yeah, beautiful. Like, I mean, yeah. nor- northern Michigan, we have waterfalls, we have sand dunes, the lake. I mean, it's like gorgeous up there. But, you know, the auto industry collapsed and a lot of Mm. people moved out. There was no jobs. The economy went in the toilet 2007. And, you know, I think the people who are there now, they were working class. They were able to have a pension, have a really good job, support a large family on one income. And now they're not. You know, they're, they're not GM collapse Ford, you know, this stuff, it doesn't exist anymore. And it was a way of life for generations and it isn't anymore. So, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I just, I understand why they're so angry, but I, I can't, I can't be in that space with them anymore. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting you say that, you know, it's like, so you know, not, not to get like too religious, but you know, like in, in Islam, like we're always taught, like your job is not to convert people, Mm -hmm. but just share your message. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, and I kind of take that approach with, you know, all this stuff too, because Mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's, it's way too energy demanding and it's way too easy to, you know, to get really down because, you know, especially when you have friends that are saying certain things, So kind of the way that I think about it is like, look, I'm just, I'm going to share my message. You know, if you accept it, that's great. You know, that's wonderful. If you don't, you know, I'm, at least I shared it with you and now you have time on your own to ponder and think about it, Uh, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to engage in, in this kind of, you know, argumentative, right. you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a good way to approach it in general because at least you kind of said your piece. And who knows, maybe like you're saying, in that moment, that person's never going to admit like, oh, actually, I see your point, right? <laughs> right. That's never <laughs> happened. No one ever. <laughs> yeah, in the history yeah. of the internet, right? But yeah, maybe they'll take that information and absorb it later when they feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get confrontational, which I'm just going to be honest with you. I got very confrontational on Facebook (laughs) when people are saying like crisis actor and all of this, you know, crazy Mm, nonsense. And that isn't going to make them listen. They still think the same thing. So it's really just fruitless and you have to stop and be like, listen, I'm going to talk to the people that understand me and love me and see me, you know, and if you don't, okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think a lot of it also has to do with kind of how we communicate today, right? Mm-hmm. Like now the way that we communicate is, you know, through phone screens or through computers, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that a lot of times people would not say these things to your face, you Definitely. know? Yeah. Of course. Because <laughs> it it's would, a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. It would be crazy, like, if somebody said that to you. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. did you feel like with that kind of stuff, not to keep talking about this, but did you feel like, you know, 7 p.m. clapping and people are applauding you and thank you, frontline workers and all this stuff, but then you see people, like you're saying, patients who won't wear masks and stuff. I mean, how does that make you feel? Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of tough because, and and I have even more kind of conflicted emotions because on one hand, you know, you're being called a a hero, something that, first off, we never signed up to be heroes, right? We we signed up because we care about people and we wanted to do something good for somebody every single day of our lives and really make an impact in individual people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's why we signed up. So on one hand, we're being called heroes, which is okay, fine. That's I, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, right, like if we are heroes, like why are we not getting PPE? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what's you know, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. So that's you know, that's something that I kind of struggled with. Right. So we're getting, you know, the you know, the Thunderbirds flying overhead and, and we're getting like a lot of these kind of like the show of being supportive, which, you know, to a certain extent, yes, it is uplifting and yes, we do appreciate it. But I just wonder if we spent a lot of that money, you know, towards PPE and, you know, maybe 
helping out, you know, in terms of like, I know there were certain cutbacks or whatever in the hospital, like in terms of that, Mm -hmm. I just wonder if, if, if it may have been, if the money may have been spent better in that way. Yeah. Maybe maybe they could have donated the money, uh, you know, directly or, or, I mean, there were residents who didn't even get hazard pay, you know, and things like that. I mean, maybe the, you know, the money would have been spent better. I mean, a plane flying over is great if you want to do that, but that's like a bonus to me. Like I want PPE and I want money if I'm, if I'm risking my literal life, which we all were. Exactly. But, you know, I think about it and it's, it's unfortunate, but it's kind of how our country is, right? Let's, let's talk about the military, for example, right? Those are guys and and guys and girls and and men and women who basically are willing to give up their lives, right? And, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just anti-violence in general, Mm -hmm. but they would be willing to sacrifice their lives for us. And we have to consider how are they treated when they get back home? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like a lot of times there are so many veterans that are kind of like, you know, homeless or dealing with so many mental health issues, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that they're not equipped to deal with and we're not getting them the right care, but we're calling them heroes on one hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like it's almost the same way with, with healthcare workers where, all right, we're calling heroes, we're clapping for them. And by the way, that's amazing that people would recognize and because it's, it's the people that the public. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that was the best thing that I got out of that whole thing Mm -hmm. was the people clapping because I felt the support of the people, but we're not talking about the people, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, it's you really have to wonder sometimes if if, you know, officials are really listening to people because, yeah, like you said, it was the public clapping for us. It was the public supporting us. It was the public who gave me, you know, it was friends and family who made face shields. For yes. Me. Mm-hmm. You know, my attending gave us, you know, PPE. Right. Like it wasn't the people that we voted for. It wasn't the people that are in positions of power. Like. This is what happens when people come together and like, it's just like we, we need to have leaders who actually listen to the people. Right. 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 Exactly. I'm not going to go too far into that. Listen, I completely agree. And I think that's a great (laughs) note to end it on. Absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate this. This was wonderful. It was really nice to talk to you. I feel like we should definitely do this again at some point if you're available, because I have more like in-depth questions. Now that we've like laid out the basics of your job, I have like more like direct stuff what we need to know yeah. next time. Now, now that you know, all we do is play with wires. And yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'll be honest with you. you. I'm sure you know this. We, you know, we, we think you guys are, you know, sitting in a dark room reading x-rays and, you know, is the ET tube there or not or whatever, mm. you know, I mean, this has been so informative and like, I had no idea how many different procedures you have to know and how many different parts of the body you have to know. And I mean, your, your job is really big and really broad and you have to be really Mm. good at it. So I think it's really cool and interesting. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for having me on, you know, I know, uh, you know, you put a lot of thought into, you know, kind of every one of these podcasts and, you know, everything from the audio to, you know, picking the topics and the people. So we're trying, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. We, we all appreciate you, you know, all your, uh, you know, thousands of followers, you know, I know, I know sometimes it feels like, you know, and maybe you feel this more than me. It's like, man, sometimes it's work to be on Instagram. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but you should know that it, it is appreciated and the content that you put out is very solid, I would say. Thank but, you. I really appreciate it. Stay in touch. Get some sleep. I know you're probably all right. exhausted. <laughs> all, right. all right. Take all right. care. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, any topics you'd like to submit, please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to our Instagram account, which is rnmdpodcast, or my personal Instagram account is the nocturnal nurse. Um, If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. We need the love right now. We're just getting started. Also, if you have any suggestions um, of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.